Let's open up our Bibles. You know which book. (laughs) The book of Revelation, chapter... No, chapter 1. Please turn to chapter (laughs) 1. Revelation chapter 1. Let's start there. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. Let's just do the whole book. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all that he saw. Skip down to verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be. Amen. John received the testimony. And he wrote it down from the island, you may recall, of Patmos. Look at verse 9. Because, he says, of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Skip ahead to verse 12. John writes, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze when it's been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Verse 8, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life. Verse 12, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. Verse 18, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and His feet are like burnished bronze. Skip ahead to chapter 3, verse 1. He who has the seven spirits of God, that is the Holy Spirit, And seven stars says, I know your deeds. Skip on down to verse 7. He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Verse 14. The Amen. The faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God. Now listen closely and turn back to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. If you want to go quickly, just flip to the middle of your Bibles and find it right there. You'll be close. Isaiah chapter 42. Verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. 
He will not be disheartened or crushed until He has established justice in the earth and the coastlands or islands. The word coastlands is Eim in the Hebrew. could be islands. So we're right here, right there. He is, and He has established the islands will wait expectantly for His law or His instruction. And then at His baptism, the Lord spoke out saying, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Matthew 3.17 And then in John 14, verse 26, the Spirit Speaking of the Spirit of God, Jesus said He will teach you all things and He will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And John fifteen twenty six, He, that is the Spirit, will testify about Me. And John 16, verse 14, He will glorify Me. And finally of Himself, Jesus said in Psalm 40, verse 7, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of Me. He said in John 5.39, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify of Me. So when Revelation 19 verse 10 says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, do you get it? Do you understand this entire litany of verses? I could have done so much more. But the point I'm making is that all of these testimonies speak of Jesus. All of these testimonies, from the witness of the apostles and the prophets to the testimony of God the Father, God the Son of Himself, and God the Holy Spirit, His very Word culminates here with the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is where we've been spending our time for the last nine months There are 66 books in the Bible. One revelation. Anyone know how many teachings we've shared in this final book? This morning is 66. And I didn't do it on purpose. About three weeks ago, I was sitting there going, wow, we've been in this a while. I wonder how many... And and what happens is I I map out where we're going. I I can typically say, we'll be about mid-June, you know. Uh, As we go into it, I always leave room for the Lord to change my mind or change the direction if He needs to. But I don't number the the teachings. I don't ever know how many there are going to be until I'm actually putting it into audio file form week to week. Because I have to number it so it's in order on the website, right? And about three weeks ago, I was numbering and I went, 59. Wouldn't that be weird? (laughs) And this morning is 66 teachings through Revelation. You know, it may not mean that much to you. I geek out on stuff like this. I totally do. Not, Not coincidences or happenstance, but on any little reminder of the faithfulness of God. And that's what it was for me. I looked at this and thought, wow. Wow. Once again, in in a most simplistic form, God brings a little surprise of His faithfulness. For me, a reminder of His goodness. Man, the serendipities that come as we just walk with Him. And see, that's the thing. Fifteen and a half years through the Bible sounds like, whoa, we've we've done, we've gone this, this great journey together. And we have, and it has been wonderful. But you know how you do it? You take one step at a time. You do... One verse. Then you do the next one. Then you do the next one. And God is faithful to carry you all the way through. Which is what He's shown me in all of this. 
And He reminds me as we walk with Him, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. This is God's doing. It's God's thing. And with our fellowship here in Nowheresville, North Whidbey Island, I can say that I live here. (laughs) To see what God has done across 15 and a half years has been a marvel and a blessing. And I know He's done bigger things in other places, far bigger. And He's done smaller things with more profound impact. But here among us, we can say, praise God for His faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for Your Word to us. Thank you for providing it and for it always being here. Thank you for remaining faithful, Father. Not just across 15 and a half years, but across 2,000 years. And brothers and sisters, the reality is if we will remain faithful to His Word, it will change us. It will change us. It must. It has to. Walk with Jesus. He will bring you peace Joy and satisfaction. He will give you direction. He will lead you even through the valley of the shadow of death and you will fear no evil. He will be with you and for you as He reveals Himself to you. He will make your life a revelation. Now, while this morning does mark the end of our study, we're just getting started. The beginning is literally just around the bend. And I'm not talking about Genesis. Although, you know, that's, that's coming. Lord willing. Side note, I may not even start Genesis until September. I'm really weighing something right now. Doing something else this summer. And then starting in September. I, I don't know. We'll see. I, I've been praying about that. But the beginning that I'm talking about launches with the soon return of Jesus. It's about to begin. Things are about to really start for us. In a way that none of us can fathom, that we can barely even imagine, that if we didn't have God's Word telling us, we couldn't even hardly believe it. But the soon return of Jesus is going to usher in life. Life after these things. Leading us up into His heavenly presence. We will be with Him, finally. And then... Entering into His millennial kingdom, we will serve with Him. And then, the new heaven, new earth, the beautiful new Jerusalem. And so Paul says in Romans 13.11, it's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Can I remind you of this? That we are nine months closer to that salvation than we were when we started this study? That's marvelous to me. Every day, every hour, every minute brings us closer to Jesus. And He's coming quickly. But don't listen to me. (laughs) Listen to Him. Verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent My angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I want you to note some things as we close out this study this morning. And the first to note is simply this. The book of Revelation is for the churches. It's for the churches. This is the first use of the word church since chapter 3. 
We haven't seen it since then. Now we've seen the church in, in, in terms of the bride, in terms of the marriage feast of the Lamb, and present there, coming with Jesus, returning with Him. We've seen implications of the church, but this is the first time the word church is being used since the original address to the seven churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philly, <laughs> and Laodicea. They had the first read. As this letter sent from John went out to the seven churches, they got to read it first. But then it was circulated. Remember those seven churches were along a postal route, so quickly circulated out to the outlying churches. And moving among the churches, not just in Asia Minor, but across the Greco-Roman Empire, this letter moved and would ultimately reach Jerusalem. And then Samaria and out to the ends of the earth as it went forward in the church. And we know it circulated not just in the first century, but across the past 2,000 years. For the churches. For the churches. So, like a classified briefing? Like a secret missive? A covert communique for Christian insiders only? Will this message self-destruct in five seconds? <laughs> no self-respecting pagan is going to give the time of day to the book of Revelation. No non-believing person is going to pick it up and say, this looks like something that's good for my life. This letter is postmarked for the churches. Jesus sent it for the churches. The Greek word for is epi, which can mean upon, but it also means concerning or with reference to, or listen, don't miss this, for as in a marker for whom responsibility falls. This is a letter that concerns the church. This is a letter that is the responsibility of the church. What is our responsibility in all of this? If you look back at verse 10 of chapter 22, he tells us, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is near. What does that mean to you personally? I'll tell you one thing. Don't close this book and set it on a shelf. Don't seal this book today when you go home. The entire Bible, yes, but I'm talking about the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't you dare seal it up. It is our responsibility. It was given to us, for us, concerning us, as a responsibility of us. The onus is now on us. Revelation 1-3 tells us, blessed is he who reads, which means reads aloud. Pray for opportunity to read aloud the revelation to somebody who needs to hear it. Blessed is he who reads. And then those who hear what you've been doing now for nine months, you've been hearing the words of the prophecy and reads, hears, and heeds the things which are written in it for the time is near. Again, I've read it aloud. You've heard it. If you heed it, you will be blessed in it. Greatly blessed beyond anything that you could ask or imagine. You see, it's for the churches to bless the world. Let's go back to what I said before. No self-respecting pagan is going to read this book. It's going to need to be read to him. To her. It's going to need to be shared with the non-believing person. 
Oh, are you kidding me? The rep. I would never read the revelation to a non-believing person. Well, then you'll never be blessed. <laughs> okay, that's a little extreme. But, but <laughs> there is a blessing that comes with this. And I've said before, and I will underscore right now, that if I were given one book out of the Bible to teach or speak or share with a non-believing person, it would be the revelation of Jesus Christ. It would not be the Gospel of John. Though I love the Gospel of John, I would probably go there second. It's not the Gospel of Mark. Though it's a fast-paced, marvelous Gospel, I'd probably go there third. (laughs) It's not Matthew or Luke. It's not Genesis. It's not some other book that might... It's not Romans, so I can explain what Christianity is. It would be the revelation of Jesus Christ, because this reveals Jesus, who is the whole entire point. And as we take it in as followers of His... You know, I've had a few people say, Rick, most pastors aren't teaching this. Okay, whatever. Guess what? Most Christians aren't sharing this. Don't just put it off on pastors. What's your part? Will you read it aloud? Will you share it? Parents with your children? Husbands with your wives? Friends with your friends? Will you share the revelation of Jesus Christ? Because it was written for the churches to do just that. As Isaiah said, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah 52 verse 7. I want to hear God say two things to me when I arrive. I want to hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant, and nice feet. (laughs) This is a letter for the churches. Please receive it. Please share it. Because not only is it for the churches, but secondly, it is from the Messiah. I, Jesus, He says, have sent My angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. The bright morning star. Ah, the bright morning star. Balaam, that wily old seer said in Numbers 24, verse 17, he just couldn't help himself. He said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. Jesus is that star. That bright morning star. He's the one who heralds the coming day. Be it the rapture or the kingdom or the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. Jesus brings it. Jesus precedes it. He he ushers it in. But in this amazing, integrating, culminating self-identification, we see in Jesus a marvel. Integrating because He is the root and the offspring of David. Integrating, I use that word intentionally because He brings it all together. It it all finds understanding. It makes sense. It finds fulfillment in Jesus. I am the root and the offspring of David, he says. Turn in your Bibles for a moment back to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. In a letter for the churches. From the Messiah. Sent by His angel, and His angel is simply a a messenger, if you will. 
We talked briefly about him midweek, that he just guides John. He doesn't actually say a whole lot in the Revelation. He mainly is there to guide John from one place to the next, to bring him to heavenly vision and then bring him back to earthly vision and back up to... So he's, he's like a, a tour guide. He's kind of the rony of Revelation. <laughs> Except that he's not talking, so there's no gives. <laughs> but Jesus, Jesus is the one who sends this. Jesus is the one who very clearly here at the end says, I, Jesus, this is from me. In fact, you know, side note, this is either from Jesus, Revelation 1 through 21 through 22. It's either from Jesus, the whole entire revelation or throw it out. You either receive it as from him, every verse of this letter or reject it wholesale. But if you reject it wholesale, understand that you are rejecting the one who wrote it, who says, this is my testimony. This comes from me. For the churches, from the Messiah, who, I love this, one of my favorite little vignettes here, Matthew 22, verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, son of David. And he said to them, Then how does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, and he quotes Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, which is in the text, Yahweh says to Adonai. Interesting. Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. Jesus says, if David then calls him Lord, how is David his son? It's one of those beautiful moments where I just would love, I would love to have selfies of every Pharisee's face. (laughs) What did they even look like? I mean, you almost see them like silently arguing with one another. You give an answer. No, you give an answer. There's no answer to this question. No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. (laughs) Wow, I am the root of David. I am also the descendant of David. How could David call his son his Lord? How could he look to as God the one who would come as his offspring? And that's the remarkable statement that Jesus is making. I am the root. That is, David comes from me. David springs from me. David branches out from me. So I am the root speaks of the divine eternality of Christ. You cannot read that without recognizing Jesus as God. He precedes David. Only God precedes. So I am the root of David. David comes from me. And I am the descendant of David. I come from David, speaking then of the human genealogy of Jesus. The divine eternality, the human genealogy, He is both, and it all is integrated in Him. You could say He's both the root and the fruit. The origin and the one who comes after. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. 
One who will branch out from Him. He will reign as King and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In His days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. And this is His name by which He will be called the Lord, our righteousness, which is Yahweh Sidkenu. Jesus is Yahweh Sidkenu. The Lord, our righteousness. He is both root and descendant. And Psalm 132, verse 10, perhaps, we don't know for sure, but perhaps a psalm of Solomon says, For the sake of David your servant, do not turn away the face of your anointed, your Mashiach. For David's sake, don't turn away the face of your Christ. So this is a letter back in Revelation 22 from the Messiah for the churches who are, number three, filled with the Spirit. Verse 17. Because you see, the Spirit and the Bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Filled with the Spirit. For it is the Spirit and the Bride together in unison saying, Come. Did you read about the new law in Texas? Last Monday, June 10th, Governor Greg Abbott signed the Texas House Bill number 234, legally authorizing Texas kids to sell lemonade and cookies from stands all across the state. (laughs) Without business licenses or food handling permits, what is this world coming to? They can now set up their stands anywhere. I'm just going to litter the countryside with lemonade stands. You know where this is going. (laughs) Jesus said in John 37, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And we looked at that. We talked about that last Sunday. Considering the water of life, which is, speaks of, directs our minds to the Holy Spirit, who is to fill the churches. The church that denies the filling of the Holy Spirit denies life. Denies the capacity, the capability to do the very thing that we are called to do, which is to share Jesus in a dark world. You cannot do that without the Spirit of God in you and working through you. And if it frightens you, the fact that I said the burden of revelation is on us to carry and to read and to heed and to share with others... If that scares you at all, don't let it. Just stop and say, Lord Jesus, empower me to do this. You want me to share revelation? I would love to share it. Would you? Because I'm not articulate. You know, I'm not like a people person. Some of you are. Some of you need help because you are. (laughs) Truth is this. We all need help. We need the Spirit of God. We're not going to do this without Him. And the message of the Spirit in the church and through us is always, come. Come. When was the last time you just said to a friend or neighbor, come. Why don't you come with me? Come with me Sunday morning. Well, I don't ask them because they'll say no. Ask again. And again. And again. And be tenacious. Come. Why don't you come with me on Wednesday night? Or just say, hey, why don't you come with me to get a cup of coffee and don't tell them it's the coffee at the church. (laughs) Okay, it's a little bait and switch, I understand. (laughs) 
Come. Come. Jesus is always so inviting. Have you noticed that about Him? He's always saying, come. He's the one who said, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's the one who said with broken heart in John 5, verse 40, to the Pharisees, you are unwilling to come to Me so that you may have life. John 6, 37, He said, all that the Father gives to Me will come to Me. And the one who comes to Me, I will certainly not cast out. There's no risk. Do you realize that? In coming to Jesus, zero risk that He will turn you away. He will not do it. And it doesn't matter the wreckage or mess of life that you come from or come out of. If you come to Jesus, He receives you. Come to Me, He says. But Jesus also says, go. (laughs) Come and go. And maybe that's what some people fear. Is if I if I come, if I accept that invitation, he's gonna look at me and go, <laughs> go. No, no. Listen. Matthew ten six tells us that to his disciples he did say, Go. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And after he had cast out that legion of demons from that poor, tormented man, all the guy wanted to do was get in Jesus' boat and sail away. Do you remember the story? They get out of the boat. This guy's frothing at the mouth. He's got chains. He's got gashes on his body. The people are terrified of him. He comes running up. I know who you are, Jesus! And I'm sure the rest of the apostles are getting back in the boat and getting ready to sail away. And Jesus comes up says, what is your name? Legion, for we are many, the guy says in Jesus. And they say, don't, 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 don't cast us into the abyss. Send us into that herd of pigs. And, and then there's the whole Bay of Pigs story. You know that story. Swine Lake. Anyway. The man, all he wanted in his right mind, he looks at Jesus and all he wants to do is get in the boat and sail away with Jesus. Do you ever feel like that? I do. In fact, sometimes all I want to do is get in his boat and sail away from here. Not from you all, but from life and circumstance. Just, Lord, can we just get in your boat and sail away? Can we just keep going? (laughs) When life gets difficult, when it gets out of our control, when circumstances hit and we don't know what to do with them. You know, I'm reminded after 15 and a half years of teaching through the Bible that there are a number of things in my own life I still have no idea what to do with. I don't know. I know what His Word says. I don't always know what to do. Don't think... That because I set up here teaching words of wisdom and truth, that I have a clue. The only clue I have comes from the Word of God. And from the Spirit of God speaking into my life and through me. But there are so many times, I want to get in the boat. I just want to sail away. But you know what Jesus told this man? He said, go. Go. Matthew or Mark chapter 5, verse 19. Go home to your people. And report to them what great things the Lord has done for you. And how He has had mercy on you. You know what happened? The guy went. He came to Jesus. 
Jesus cast the demons out, healed him completely, and then rather than get in the boat and let's sail away in intimate peace and joy and leave the rest of the Decapolis to go straight to hell, Jesus says, go home and tell them what happened. And he goes home, he tells them what happened, and the next time Jesus arrives on that same shore, massive numbers of people are there to greet him. Because Jesus said, come, and then he said, go. And he says both. To the rich young man, Matthew 19, 21. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, go. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. That's one that was a little different. He said, go first, get rid of that stuff that's hampering you, that's hindering you, that's keeping you from from receiving what I have for you. Go get rid of it. And come follow me. And ultimately to every last one of us, Matthew 28 verse 19, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age, which is marvelous because he says, come and we come. And then he says, go and we go. But when we go, he goes with us. He will never leave you, no, never forsake you. So we come and we go. He says come, that we might go in His name. And so we go in His name so that we can say come. So that people might also come and go. But my friends, whether we're coming or going, we are moving in the Spirit. It is the Spirit and the Bride who say come. You don't go on your own. And by the way, that's not just about companionship. Again, it is about empowerment. John 3 verse 8, Jesus said, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it. You do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. What does that mean? It means as we come and we go, we do so by the leading of the Spirit of Christ. As we speak, the word come, we do so by the Spirit of Christ. Who back in Isaiah 55 verse 1 said, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. He says, why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. And if there's milk, will there be cookies? Come by, he says, wine and milk without money, without cost. Hey, this is no lemonade stand that we're talking about. To come to the waters and drink is to be born of the Spirit of God. It's synonymous with being born again. To be born again is to drink of the living water. But you know what? The living water, Jesus says, will well up from within you as in streams, as in flowing, as in constant. So you drink of the living water, you're born again as a follower of Jesus Christ, and then you continue to drink of the living water. Even as you're offering it. You're the kid at the lemonade stand gulping it down while you're selling it to anyone who will come and get it for free. If you come drink, you can't help but go and tell the thirsty to come drink. And if you haven't, literally, if you, if you haven't come to drink yet, 
Why not? Why not? And if you haven't offered the water of life to somebody yet, why not? What's the barrier in your life that's keeping you from getting to the other side of the lemonade stand, as it were, to getting into people's lives, or maybe yourself to simply receiving the message to come? What's the barrier? Time is running out. You know, when I say things like that, I I know how it can be perceived. Well, you're just trying to emotionally motivate us. To what? What do I get out of telling you that time is running out, really? I'm telling you what's true. I'm telling you what the Word tells us. If you knew you had a week, what would you do with it? If you knew you had a month, what would you do with it? Knowing what you know now. If you knew you had a year, how would you spend it? Your final year of life, would you try and fill your bucket list? Or would you go and say, come, with every last breath? Well, the letter is coming to a close. A letter from the Messiah for the churches filled with the Spirit. And note this, number four, formatted with finality. Jesus says, I testify to everyone who hears the words. Well, it may or may not be Jesus actually right here. That, that, this actually may be John testifying this. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. And by the way, just so you know, that wasn't just a, a mistake there. There are commentators, good scholarly men who believe that this is Jesus still speaking. Maybe. It does come from him. And even if it's being penned by John and he's the one giving testimony, he's doing so by the Spirit of Christ. So either way, this is coming from Jesus. Please hear this clearly. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. This is it. There are no add-ons. There are no revisions. No additional books or further revelations of Jesus Christ. Now at one level... He's talking about the Revelation. He's talking about the book of of Revelation. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. Don't mess with the letter. (laughs) And yet, this is the final revelation of Jesus Christ. Period. Therefore, we're closing out Scripture here. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. Moses wrote, You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. uh, Proverbs, verse 30. Sorry, Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to His word, or He will reprove you, and you will be proved a liar. See, that, that's the issue there. You try to pile on human wisdom and you're going to be found out for it. It's going to be clear you don't have a clue what you're talking about because you are not matching up to, are not connecting with the Word of God. 
600 years after Jesus Christ, a guy by the name of Muhammad came along and he added to this word. Undermining every claim he would ever make. In a book, the Quran, which is one-third gibberish, I don't know if you knew that, even to Muslim scholars, a third of the Quran is unreadable, un- it doesn't make any sense. Well, that adds to the holiness. No! It adds to the dumb. Twisted and, and bent, stolen from and piled on. That's what Muhammad brought. The two main cults that will come knocking on your front door, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, have done exactly this. Do not add to and do not take away from. The Book of Mormon, do you realize? Think about this. The Book of Mormon even presents itself as another testament of Christ. There can't be one. Not okay. You know what the Mormon will do? He'll come to your door dressed in his nice white shirt, riding a gleaming bicycle. <laughs> he'll come to your door, he'll knock, and, and he'll present the Book of Mormon. And all he'll say is, look, just, just read it and see if you have, see if your heart burns within you. Well, I've read the Book of Mormon and it gave me heartburn. <laughs> But the whole idea is, is read it and see if you can get some kind of emotional... If there's an emotional reaction you get to the reading of this book, they think that's how they're going to hook you. And especially in this day and age where people are so based on feelings and not on fact. Where the culture loves how things feel rather than what's true. And that's, that's the plan of the Mormons. Hey, we have another testament, a further testament, a deeper knowledge... Don't add to. Don't take away from. The Jehovah's Witness Bible does both. Takes away from. If you read it. Why, why, why do Jehovah's Witnesses have to have a different Bible? Well, what they do, like all other cults, like Islam before, and like other religions, is they say, well, God's Word became corrupted, therefore we needed a correction, and, and ours is it. Hmm. Okay. The book of Mormon, the the Jehovah's Witness Bible is altered, listen, to subtly deny the deity of Jesus. You almost wouldn't even notice the changes that have been made in the Jehovah's Witness Bible. But what those changes do is denies the possibility that Jesus is God. Where the Scriptures clearly testify that He is, Jehovah's Witness Bible kind of moves that out. Adding to, taking away. And you might say, well, Rick, you're being kind of mean here. I have good Mormon friends. I have good Jehovah's Witness friends. They're such nice people. Second John verse 9 says, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. This teaching, this Word. If anyone comes to you, John writes, and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Do not even give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. That's how serious this really is. One more time, this word is final. And what he says is if you add to it, you get the plagues. 
You add to this word, God will add to you the plagues. What does that mean? It means you're going to go into the tribulation. It means you will miss the rapture of the church. It doesn't mean you're lost, by the way. Isn't that interesting? He will add the plagues to you. You still may be among the countless multitudes saved in that tribulation period, but you're going in if you add to the words. You may yet still be saved when you realize that you added on to what's actually the truth. But then he says, take away from it and God will take away from you the tree of life. And New Jerusalem, meaning what? Meaning if you take away from these words, you will go into the lake of fire. Either way, it's not good. Either way, the verses should make you tremble. But listen, listen, followers of Jesus, those who trust in Him, verses 18 and 19 are not written to instill fear, but faith. They're not here to cause cowardice. Oh, wow, I better not touch this book at all. I mean, you might read verse 18. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues written in this book. Rick, why did you spend nine months teaching to this? What if you added something to it that wasn't intended to be there? That's not the point. The idea is not to be afraid of the book of Revelation. It's to teach it as is. To share what's here. This is what it says. And by the way, going over the last nine months of teaching, if there is anything that I have taught you in here or through this, and you say, Rick, I think you added to, I'd like to know right now so I can repent, because I really don't want the plagues. (laughs) No, this is not here to cause cowardice. It is here to encourage confidence. This is His Word. You don't add to it. You don't take from it. It is the final word. This is what Jesus wanted you, wanted me to hear and to know and to heed and to read. This is the final word. And what's marvelous about the word of God is it comes to conclusion there at the end of the first century as John puts down the pen. We hear Peter, his words ringing out, 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. You got it all. It's right here. You got it. Don't need to go looking anywhere else because this is the final word. It's, it's a letter, the revelation from the Messiah for the churches filled with the Spirit, and it's formatted with finality. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. As we began, we remembered that John testified. We started this morning. And the Word of God testifies. And the Lord God Almighty testifies. And the Holy Spirit testifies. And the Bride, in fact, the Spirit and the Bride together, testify. How fitting that the final testimony of the entire Bible belongs to Jesus. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. And He is. He's coming in a taxi. He's coming quickly. Quickly is that word. I remind you, taxu or intaxe, which means speedily or with increasing velocity. 
That what begins slowly as you're pulling out from the curb speeds up and picks up speed and gains RPMs as the taxi moves faster and faster down the road. And that's the point that Jesus has been making from chapter 1 all the way out to chapter 22. I'm coming quickly. Things are revving up. And I see it. And I feel it. And I, factually, we recognize it in our culture and in this world. You know, just this morning, I'm in the foyer and Mike and I are talking about how, you know, we're, it's going to be one thing or the other. That is, either Jesus is going to come or America is going to fall. It's going to be one of the two. We have gone over the tipping point as a culture. Used to be able to swing back and forth, you know, kind of the pendulum swing. I don't see us swinging back. Well, that's awfully negative, Rick. I'm just looking for Jesus. And I believe He is coming quickly. But one way or another, things will not remain as they have since the beginning. He's coming. It's revving up. And Jesus is implying here, I am coming quickly, that when it all starts to come down, it will come down fast. It'll be so sudden, so immediate. It will shock this world. And so John replies to Jesus saying, Yes, I am coming quickly. He says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. My favorite four words in the Bible. I have a ring with that written in Hebrew on the ring. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. John, by the way, is using the Greek equivalent of a very popular first uh, century Christian phrase in the Aramaic, which is Maranatha. Maranatha. Oh, Lord, come. Come, Lord. Some of you this morning are thinking that very thing. I woke up this morning thinking that very thing. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. But there may be some sitting here right now this morning saying, Oh, oh no, not yet, Jesus. Not yet. Not ready. Hang on. Hold it. Be honest. Is that you? I mean, in your heart of hearts, when you hear someone, when you hear a a Christian brother or sister say, Come, Lord Jesus, do you ever find yourself going, (laughs) No. Do you fear His coming? Why not replace fear with faith? See, the beautiful thing about faith, about trusting in God, is you're just trusting Him to do what's absolutely right. Which has to do with everything, including the timing of His coming. He's got the perfect timing. I'm reminded of this every day as we're working through this adoption process with Christopher. I'm reminded every day God's timing is perfect. I would have brought Chris home six months ago. It's taken some time. we got some snafus and little things going on. Not a big deal. We're going to work through all of it. But man, I would have... Why not now, Lord? Come on now. Right now, Lord. And even as a follower of Jesus, there are times I say, Come, Lord Jesus, now! Why did I have to have five more minutes? I didn't want that. You know, he knows what he's doing. And if you're worried for a loved one or a friend who might get left behind, so you find yourself saying, "Come, Lord, give me a, give me a couple more weeks, Lord, to talk to them, to share with her, to tell him." 
And then a couple more weeks goes by, and have you? Talked to him, shared with her, told them? Wait, Lord, wait. But I'm I'm so worried for for a a wife. I'm worried for a a son, a daughter. I'm worried for a friend. I'm not sure if I want you to come. Listen, brothers and sisters, trade your anxiety for trust. Trust Him. And join the Apostle simply saying, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. God knows His timing. And His timing is perfect. And He knows every heart. Your part, my part, we live for Jesus. We look to Jesus and we join the old Apostle saying, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And by the way, you can come to Him today. See, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. You can say this morning, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. We're going to offer the opportunity in just a minute for you to come forward and pray to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior if you've never done that. But you can do it from right where you're sitting. Come, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart. You as a believer, you might say, come into my mind, Lord, because I need your peace. You can say, come into my body and lead me in righteousness, right behavior, to do right things. But say, come, Come, Lord Jesus. And now we come to the last verse of the revelation of Jesus Christ, the very last verse of the Bible. Oh, how I want to draw this out. One last note before I read it. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And God was silent in terms of His written word for over 400 years. The last spoken word of a prophet was a curse. Or at least was a a comment of the avoidance of a curse. That's how the Hebrew Scripture ends. The New Testament ends with this. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Yes, Lord. So be it. Grace is God's final word to us all. And I'm not going to add to it. Let's stand together. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord Jesus, for Your coming, for Your return. And yesterday would not have been too soon for me, Lord. Or last week, or last year. Or one sentence into the very first Bible study at the bridge 15 and a half years ago. Wouldn't have been too soon for me. Come, Lord Jesus. We, as brothers and sisters, as children of Yours, We align ourselves with Your perfect will, Father. When we say, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Come. And I pray, I long for, I desire Your second coming, Your calling us into the heavens to be with You. But Lord, I also pray, should You wait, should You tarry, should You in Your perfect plan have another year or another two or another ten, Lord Jesus, by Your Spirit, come this morning. Come and push back any hindrances. 
between your people and you. Come and push back against the darkness so that should one person wander into the fellowship this morning lost, they would walk out found. They would hear the voice of your Spirit say, Come. Come and make room for salvation here, Father, I pray. Come and bring your joy into this place and your peace. Come and and fill us with courage and boldness to carry your word and to speak of the revelation of Jesus and not to be afraid to share these things. Come and, and have your way in our hearts and in our lives, in our marriages, Lord. Come to our families, Lord. Come. In our friendships and relationships, come into this mess of a society and a world. Come. We pray for the outpouring of the power of Your Spirit to overcome evil with righteousness and darkness with light. We just say, come. Come to a world that is dying of thirst and pour out, Lord. And use us in this place to speak the word come as often as we can, as often as we draw breath and by the presence of Your Spirit in our lives. For this morning, Lord, we come to You and we say thank You, praise You, and save. Oh God, save. In Jesus' name, Amen. The Spirit and the Bride say come, so I say the same to You this morning. We have people to pray at all four tables and all four corners of the room. Won't you come to Jesus? Some of y'all need to come and share something that's breaking your heart right now. Some of y'all just need to come and confess to Him. Not to us, but to Him. Things going on in your life. Someone here needs to come. and Stop playing games with God and just say... All right, Lord, I give up. Be my Savior. Come. Come while we sing.